There isn't a single observation that an evolutionist makes that a creationist disagrees with. So why is there any disagreement? Operational and historical science, today on Creation Magazine Live. Welcome to another audio podcast from your friends at CMI. Faith-building evidences for the accuracy of the Bible are coming right up. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Cal Smith. And I'm Richard Fangrad. And this week we're going to be talking about no two ways about it. The difference between operational and historical science. Okay. You know, uh, many times evolutionists, they always seem stupefied, right? And so why don't you creationists just accept evolution in millions of years? I mean, these are facts, you know. They, they rail yeah. on creationists. They say, well, you guys are ignoring the evidence, you know, that, that your own eyes see. You're denying science. Um, you know, you hear these types of things after a while. And see, the, the problem is, is they've accepted certain explanations of the facts that we observed exactly. as if yeah. they were observations themselves. Like they're saying, yes. well, we've observed millions of years. Well, no, you haven't. Yeah. You're, you're observing facts and interpreting them that yeah. way, right? And there are two types of science, and we've yeah. talked about this, this many, many times. There's operational science, and that has to do with making direct observations. and right. saying You can observe things happening in the present, see the results in real time, and then there's historical science. And that's about things in the past, right? And uh, uh, where, where people make guesses about what happened in the past to explain what they're observing today, right? Those are two different distinctions that really need to be made. A, a popular version of this type of science, you'd find it on CSI or forensic science. It's not quite the same in origin science, yeah. But um, it's like forensic science or Sherlock Holmes or something, where you're right. reconstructing a past event that hasn't been observed. It's an important distinction, right? And, and a lot of times. Um you know, in these shows, of course, Sherlock Holmes always gets it right, doesn't he? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the problem. Right? <laughs> you don't always interpret the evidence correctly. But anyway, um, you know, many times uh, evolutionists have accused creationists of kind of creating this differentiation in science. They say, well, you know, and, and there is right. no distinction between operational and historical science. You guys just use this as a way to, you know, cover things up and stuff. But that's easily disproven. I mean, take the example, you know, okay, what's the, what temperature does water boil at at sea level? Well, it's operational science. You operational take a water, science, you yeah. stick it in, you put your thermometer in, you're going to discover what it is. Or, you know, uh, when did Niagara Falls first form? Well, well nobody's seen it. You're, you're heavily into historical science at that point. Right, and the, right? the thing is, uh, tomorrow, uh, the temperature that water boils at a sea level is going to be the same as the next day and right. the next day, and it has been in the past. Yeah. But, I mean, for example, the explanation of how long Niagara Falls took to form, that's changed many times over the years. So, obviously, there's a difference between operational and historical science. Right, yeah. In the late 1800s, uh, the great physicist William Thompson, or Lord Kelvin, most right. of us know him by, was saying that the Earth was between 20 and 40 million years old. Million. Million. Uh, that, was, that was a long time ago. Yep. And of course, Calvin hadn't measured this age, but he'd calculated it based on various factors, such, uh, for example, um, his assumption was that the Earth began as a hot molten blob. <laughs> right. And then he used that as his starting assumption, and he guessed all the details and so on, like its initial temperature and the, the conductivity of the heat from the inner to the outer and so on. And based on those assumptions, he calculated how long it would take this blob to cool down to its current temperature. Right, right. So, but yeah. uh, evolutionary biologists like uh, Darwin, for example, they weren't happy with that figure that he wrote. Of yes, too because, young. Because, well, it's too young. Yeah. There's not enough time for evolution. Darwin actually said that uh, Kelvin was his sorest trouble. And then he said, I require for my theoretical views a very long period before 
the Cambrian formation. Mm. Note what he said, for my theoretical views, I need the earth to be older. Yeah. My theory. Yeah. Right? Now, things changed once uh, radiometric dating uh, was discovered. Those who preferred an older Earth claimed that the heat from radioactivity, uh, from radioactive decay deep in the Earth, it, it, that, that kept the Earth warmer and, and so on, it took vastly longer for it to cool because of that. So radioactivity allowed for a different history of the Earth. Right. One that could extend as long as geologists, uh, evolutionary geologists and biologists needed for evolution. Radioactivity also, of course, there, there's radioisotope dating, uh, rocks and so on. Arthur Holmes, 1890 to, uh, to 1965, became famous for this. Mm -hmm. in, his, in, in 1911, he published the first uranium lead result and recalculated uh, from other workers' data. His oldest age was 1,640 million, or 1 1.6 billion years. Right, but, but these calculations were based on ignorance. Yes. Because in those yeah. days they didn't know about there was two different uh, you know, uranium decay chains or different isotopes of uranium and lead. So actually when they, they got more rocks and they, got, they were dated, you know, finally it gradually kept up to 3,000 million years, 3 billion yeah. years. So the, the, the age of the Earth has increased over time, right? That's right. So obviously we're not talking about an observed fact here. And we'll be back. Yeah, most of the problem in defining the difference between operational and historical science comes in, in trying to define science itself. There isn't a real solid definition of science. There, there, it, it's close to that, but yep. today evolutionists try to define science as being totally materialistic. Right. It's totally naturalistic. It, it can never involve conclusions that might end up uh, pointing to God, something like that. And that's right. atheism. Yeah. In principle. That's really? Basically, atheism is what they're... Uh, what they're spouting. Materialists, the, the materialists often define evolution as science. Right. And so we got these problems with definitions here and creation as religion, so they can just ignore the issue of creation. Right. Of course, the founders of modern science saw no such distinction. There was no, pro for example, Isaac Newton, who still hailed as the greatest scientist who ever lived. Yep. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't see that, that his science somehow uh, you know, excluded a creator or that creation hindered his scientific research. Right. He was a good scientist. Now, because both creation and evolution have to do with stories about the past, um, there's really no way for evolutionists to avoid the fact that their creation story isn't scientific in the empirical sense. Right. right? We're yeah. all looking at empirical facts, but we're interpreting them. Um, uh, so it's not strictly in the, in the realm of operational science. And, and you can actually look into some... Um, some science literature to determine is evolution science in the empirical sense. As a matter of fact, there was a, right. a 1995 uh, report entitled the National Science Education Standards. This was uh, delivered by the governing board of the National Research Council in the U.S. And this was to assist um, science educators in teaching what real science was and what science should contain, what it should not contain, kind of a criteria of what science uh, is and what it should be. Okay, and, cool. And here's some of the criteria that they listed for what real science should be. They said science distinguishes itself from other ways of knowing and from other bodies of knowledge through the use of empirical standards, logical arguments, and skepticism. Scientific explanations must meet certain criteria. First and foremost, they must be consistent with experimental and observational evidence about nature and must make accurate predictions when appropriate about systems being studied. But they should also be logical, respect the rules of evidence, be open to criticism, report methods and procedures, and make knowledge public. 
and these explanations of how the natural world changes based on myths, personal beliefs, religious values, mystical inspiration, superstition, or the author or other authority, uh, that might be personally useful and, and socially relevant, but they aren't scientific. Okay, very good. Well, let's, uh, let's summarize this list then, and we'll see if evolution matches this criteria from this organization. So, no presuppositions. It's supposed to have observational da data, include accurate information, be open to criticism, have accurate predictions, and be logical. Okay, That's great. Good There's summary a of, of what you just uh, uh, summarized. Sure. There. Well, then let's start with number one. Yeah. Do evolutionists have presuppositions? <laughs> I think so. Uh, the National Association of Biology Teachers in 1995, uh, they gave an official statement on what teaching evolution uh, was, what evolution is. Right. And here's their statement. The diversity of life on Earth is the outcome of evolution, an unsupervised, impersonal, unpredictable, and natural process of temporal descent with genetic modification that is affected by natural selection, chance, historical contingencies, and a changing environment. That's what evolution is. So unsupervised and impersonal. Right. Okay. Well, that's, well uh, what does that do? Denies the God of the Bible. It does. Yeah. Um, so so obvious was that that it was biased that in, in response to intense uh, public pressure, they actually deleted the words unsupervised and impersonal okay. from the statement because it's obviously biased. But the <laughs> bias was there in order for it to be removed, right? Right. Um, you know, e even evolutionists like Stephen Jay Gould, who was a he was an atheist, he didn't believe in creation or anything like that, but he, he was pretty honest. And he actually admitted about science, he said, our ways of learning about the world are strongly influenced by the social preconceptions and biased modes of thinking that each scientist must apply to any problem. He said the stereotype of a fully rational and objective scientific method, which with uh, individual scientists as logical and interchangeable robots, is self-serving mythology. <laughs> So both creation and evolution are unscientific. Well, next up on the list is observational data. Right. Okay, so let's get a definition of evolution and see if there uh, is any for evolution. Right. Um, for example, here's one. Uh, the theory that all living things in the world have arisen from a, from a single source, which itself came from an inorganic form. And obviously over millions of years. So mm. let's think about yeah. this. Has anyone observed millions of years? No. Nope. No. Has anyone observed one kind of creature turning into a different kind of creature? No. no. I'm not talking about, by the way, you know, uh, butterflies uh, becoming other kinds of butterflies yes, or bacteria. Which we agree with. And, yeah, it's yeah, speciation yeah. through natural selection, genetic mutation. We understand that, but that's not talking about one thing turning into another. Right. So guess what? There is no observational evidence uh, direct, yeah. directly that one thing is that evolution has occurred. Right. Yeah. Now, the, the evolutionists would complain at this point and say that, it, well, evolution takes so long that, of course, we wouldn't see it. But that's the point. <laughs> you haven't seen it. <laughs> you haven't seen it. So it's not observational. It's, it's not observational, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, you know, over the years, we, we'd hear um, statements like this many times, uh, similar to this one here. Uh, actually, there's superabundant evidence for animals evolving under our eyes, British moss becoming darker since the Industrial Revolution, insects evolving DDT resistance, uh, malaria parasites evolving resistance in the last two decades, and new strains of flu virus, etc., etc. Now, we've debunked these claims of evolution so many times that um, you're starting to hear less and less of these empirical proofs of evolution anymore. It, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. the creationists have done their work. We've, 
been out there yeah. and, and made them think about it. And I'll, I'll give you an example of this kind of backpedaling. In uh, 2008, Eugenie Scott, she's a very famous atheist in the yes. States, and uh, she's the director of the Evolution Promoting National Center for Science Education, which is really just an atheistic think tank. Evolution Promotion yeah. Organization. She's at Miami University, and she's giving a talk. Now, in it, she, she chided creationists because we, we, we prefer direct observation to inferential explanation. Well, you'd think scientists, that would be a good thing to do. (laughs) And uh, she also said, well, you know, you guys insisting evolutionists should provide observable evidence for their belief. That's just not, you know, of course it is, if you're going to talk about science, right? So she actually used an example, (coughs) um, you know, where you can tell what happened in the past based on the evidence. And she used this trivial example of, of, of a road with some cow dung on it and, and the road crew had painted a stripe, and you could see it go over the cow dung. And so she's trying to use this example as, well, we can know about the fossil record and which was buried first because, you know, an example like this, well, obviously okay. the cow did, yeah. and then arguing yeah. from Of inference. course, some things were buried first, and, and, and yeah, no, no issue there. Yeah. Well, it, that's obvious because it's based on what we do know, not what we don't know. Right. Uh, many people have, have, number one, seen cows doing their thing. <laughs> whatever uh, we've we've seen painted lines on roads and we've seen what happens when a when a, when when paint for example is applied over a piece of tape that might be left on a wall somewhere we understand that right uh we're not it's a bad analogy it's really. a really bad uh, analogy now to be honest i mean creationists have been using arguments from inference or analogy for years right, right. this is because we understand this is a historical uh science not uh you know so for example if you see something that has design features like a motor or a robot or something like that well you're going to assume there was a design Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if our universal experience is that whenever we see code systems or language systems, then we know it originated from an intelligent mind. intelligence involved, sure. Right. Yep. And, and so if you see the same kinds of things like that in nature, if you see something like an ATP synthase motor or a kinesin or, or the language system of DNA, well, it's scientifically valid to come to the same conclusions. Absolutely. It was intelligent mind and it was designed, etc. Yeah. So. When we see originally organic material uh, like fossilized trees standing upright through several meters of uh, several layers of rock uh, meters thick we assume that those layers were laid down fairly quickly before the tree had time to rot that's a i mean that's a standard easy explanation when we see unfossilized animal tissue like we talked about uh, several weeks ago uh, containing amino acid sequences with dna and all kinds of things uh, within fossils of a dinosaur bone we, we assume that those bones formed recently. Right. That's a, the a natural, yeah. logical explanation for those things. Exactly. So yeah. all these uh, con- logical conclusions based on these analogies and inferences, uh, they're devastating to, to evolutionary presuppositions. There is no observations of evolution occurring, uh, so I guess we can cross that one off the list Off the list, uh, off the list yes. Yeah. Next on the list is accurate information. Right. Accurate information. And we can point to several examples where this is just... Drives uh, me nuts, gone. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've done this on previous shows. Yep. We've dealt with it last season, same old song and dance. You can look that up on YouTube. And I've uh, got a lot of comments on that one, actually. Um, Heckel's forged embryo drawings. Yeah, forged. They're forged. <laughs> it's inaccurate information. They're still in textbooks today yep. being used to promote evolution. And you have the staged photos of the peppered moths. <laughs> Which they, peppered moths don't prove evolution anyway. It's just it, natural selection. No. But they were still... The, the point is, it's not accurate information. Those are used to promote evolution, and there's, there's massive problems with inaccuracy. They're being used inaccurately, they're, being, they're described inaccurately, and uh, so, so take that one off the list. Yeah, because there should be an outcry from people saying... The, 
right? It should be. Yeah. Well, uh, the next one on the list here is uh, open to criticism. Well, I don't want to take a whole bunch of time here uh, on this one, but you know, you can go to our website. There are many of our articles showing uh, how uh, Darwinists, you know, suppress information. They they don't allow criticism of Darwinism. Um, we've got a great book called Slaughter of the Dissidents by uh, Dr. Jerry Bergman, and uh, he gives complete uh, details into many people whose careers were shattered by even questioning the concept of, uh, of evolution. And uh, and we really enjoyed this. Remember we went and saw that together when it what opened it up in theater? theaters? Yeah, Expelled Intelligence. I thought it was you know? a comedy. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> no intelligence. Parts of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, needed, um, allowed, check out this DVD. It's a great, you know, um, Ben Stein did a fantastic job just exposing how people have lost their jobs for even, you know, yeah. Even the, even the evolutionists that say, well, okay, we'll allow intelligent design to be a, in, a, in a paper or something. Boom, and they get, they don't even believe in next thing. Build, next thing you know, you're working at McDonald's. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't question Darwin. Is <laughs> wrong with working at McDonald's? Yeah. But when you're a university prof, it's a yeah. bit of a surprise. <laughs> now, one of the biggest ways uh, Darwinism is protected is it's it's it, that's the default position. Right. Uh, look at this quote from immunologist S. C. Todd in a correspondence in Nature magazine. He says. Even if all the data point to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. How could you be open to criticism if you exclude a designer from the beginning? Yeah, the default position is naturalism, and we're not going to allow anything else. And so, how? Yeah, you know, and and uh, okay, we might as well just say okay, enough that's, of that that's one. That's done. That's okay. done. Yeah. yeah. So it's off the list. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let's go to Darwin himself and see how. Um, how evolution. About the next, it, it, the next one on the list. The here. next one on the list. It was just accurate is, predictions. Yes, accurate predictions. Right. And Darwin, we've got a quote here from Darwin about that concerns this issue. Why is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any finely any such finely graduated organic chain, and this is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory. Okay, so here, here Darwin's saying that there should be a ton of these intermediate forms, right? Yes. And we haven't f seen them, so what was the solution? Well, you know, we haven't really looked at the fossil record that well, and so we're going to find them a little later on. Well, right. guess what? Yeah. 105 years later, we had uh, checked the fossil record much better, and, and what did we find? Well, here's, here's uh, Stephen Jay Gould, and he said, 105 years later, after Darwin, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. Cool. So guess what? The prediction didn't work out. We have looked at the fossil record now. And then uh, and 23 years after that, National Geographic uh, had an article, Was Darwin Wrong? And in it they were talking about the fossil record. They said, illuminating but spotty. The fossil record is like a film of evolution from which 999 out of 1,000 frames have been lost. That's awesome. <laughs> so where's your evidence for evolution? we got one thing here, we got one thing here. All the intermediates are supposed to be there, but that, that part of the film isn't there. Amazing. So, <laughs> how about vestigial organs? Uh, predictions about how the appendix, for example, was useless have been proven to be wrong. Uh, due to fault, the faulty conclusion that we evolved from animals, and it's a leftover feature right, that we so have in our So they predicted we evolved from animals. That's why we've got these useless organs. They yeah. did the same thing with junk DNA. Of course, John Maddox said the failure to recognize the implications of, of non-coding DNA will go down as one of the biggest mistakes in the history of molecular biology. Creation and evolution, they both fall into the category of historical 
They do. Science, right? Yeah. And we've, we've gone through the National Science Education Standards definition of what science is. We found out that evolution doesn't meet its standards. Yeah. Well, then, that's why. Because it falls into the realm of historical science, not, not uh, operational. It's not repeatable. It's not observable. Um, and, and it's got huge holes in it. Uh, so that's why any attempt to categorize it as operational science, of course, is going to fail. Yeah. Now, yeah. The, the last criteria in the National Science Education Standards was that science should be logical. I'll try to keep a straight face. But, uh, okay, <laughs> d does the idea that nothing became something sound logical? Uh, does the idea that language systems like, like DNA and complex codes on DNA created themselves with no mind? Is it logical to think that sophisticated machinery like Kinesin or Kinesin, depending on where you're from, <laughs> or, uh, or, or ATP synthase, little motors, biological motors, just formed via nothing, all by themselves with no intelligence? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it actually takes intense indoctrination in, in a school yeah. system that doesn't allow anything else, yeah. mocks anything else, or just excludes it so you never even hear about it, to actually convince people that, that that's logical. Nothing, something came yeah. from nothing? Oh yeah, that's logical. That's not. You logical. gotta go to school for a long time before you, you start. You really thinking gotta like get that. educated before <laughs> you can start believing that stuff. So, you know, the problem is though, most people just don't understand. They don't understand the difference between operational and historical science. So, let, let's just have some fun here. Let, you as the audience, you, you've watched the show here. Let's see. Do you understand the difference now? I mean, if I said, you know, figure out what chemicals are in in, in this solution of water, what, what type of science? Would, would we use? Operational or historical? Got to be operational. Right. Because and I can do the experiment in the present. I can observe the results in real time. Yeah, and you discover that it's Coke, not water. You've got to stay awake somehow. So, okay. Uh, what about uh, if we said, how did the peacock get its feathers? Well, operation or uh, Operational or historical? And it obviously be historical. historical. I, I wasn't in there the when past, peacocks came into being. Evolved? Was it created? We don't know. And so, That's yeah. Right. Okay. If, if I said, "Well, how old is this dinosaur bone?" Well, you're looking at the bone. It's in your hand. Okay, so you've got the facts. Yes, I'm looking at you've a fact. You've got the fact. You could be an evolutionist or a creationist. Doesn't yep. matter. You're there's holding a, a dinosaur. There's a bone here. In there's here. Or, or, a bone. Look at that bone. Yeah. So how old is it? How old is it? Is it it's historical, historical science? That's right. Right? It's yeah. not, hopefully this is not difficult as we, as we go through this. Yeah. It seems tremendously difficult for evolutionists Sometimes to Sometimes you're talking to people, they just... No, it's about science, and we're on about science, and we're, yeah. we're going we're gonna to go where the facts take us. Well, <laughs> slow yeah. down there. Um, yeah. we, we think of some other ones. How long ago did Neanderthals exist? Operational or historical? Operational or historical to determine the answer to that? It's historical. Historical. If I said, well, how far away is the moon? Well, that's operational. That's operational. You go and measure it. Well, we can. We've actually flown there. Lasers. <laughs> we've flown there. Yeah, yeah. Then that's it, right. Your, your odometer doesn't work so well. well but, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, so, what did amphibians evolve from? Operational, uh, operational, or historical? Well, obviously, it's, you're assuming the history of evolution, even in the question. Even in the question, you've already question. assumed yeah. the answer because you've, yep. you know, in in a sense. Yep. Uh, how are computers made? When did God create the universe? How fast is a bullet from a, a 38 special travel? You know, just think about those things when you're being taught about this subject. It's very, very important. It's critical. There are two ways about it. There are. There is yeah. a difference between operational and yeah. historical science, and we need to uh, understand that one. Creation Magazine Live is a production of Creation Ministries International, the publisher of Creation Magazine and the minds behind creation.com.
If you want to chip in to support our ministry, go to creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.